really privileged to uh, have a special guest, Kelly Chewbacca. Now, Kelly, uh, I, I was at a, a meeting last September, and uh, Kelly uh, came in and shared uh, her personal testimony and answered a lot of questions. And I thought, man, it would be really great to have our congregation meet Kelly. Kelly is running for U.S. Senate. And, you know, it's really a great thing to understand per a person in more than one dimension. I kind of liken it to the fact when I was a kid, you know, in first or second grade. And uh, do you remember, you know, you you go to school and you, your teacher's there and, you, and that's the only dimension that you know them in. And then you go to the grocery store one day and your teacher's in the grocery store, like, what are you doing here, you know? Anyways, uh, you know, seeing uh, Kelly, you know, and getting to meet her, hearing about her story, and, uh, and all, I just thought it would be great for you to know her in more than one dimension. Yes, she's running for political office, but, uh, you know, she is a pastor, and uh, she uh, has a, her own personal testimony. She's going to preach to us from the Word today as well. So, Kelly, would you come? Now, something uh, we want to just prep you for, that uh, it's okay. This is going to be interactive, right? Oh, most definitely. Okay, so in the, in the first service, we weren't sure about that. So, anyways, you know, we didn't want to pipe in when she's talking, you know. But she means for this to be interactive. So, if you know the answer... Shout out, okay? God bless you. Yes, otherwise there's these long, awkward pauses. I like the analogy to it being like at the grocery store. Has anyone ever seen a politician at the pulpit before? <laughs> hey, what is this awkward thing that's happening at this moment? <laughs> uh, Yes, I never dreamed of growing up and being a politician, nor did I dream of growing up and being a pastor. So let's jump into this story. Um, my testimony, in a nutshell, do you know that it's really good to have your testimony down to an elevator talk? Yeah. Oh, yes. Let's start working on that today, shall we? Um, did anyone have some abusive experiences when they were a child? I don't expect you to raise your hands, but I don't think I'm alone in that. And when that happens, you might develop a shame complex. The difference between shame and guilt. Guilt is I've done something wrong. Shame is there's something wrong with me. So that happened to me. There's something wrong with me. You can't get rid of that because it's in you. And when there's something wrong with me, then I grew up thinking I have to be perfect. I have to be perfect. And then when you couple that with the church theology I grew up in, I don't think this was intentional, but the church theology I grew up in, but I grew up in a church that was very comfortable talking about God and very comfortable talking about Jesus, but we don't talk about that other guy. But I'm really comfortable talking about this guy here, the second guy. But when you have a shame child sitting in church, and you have God and Jesus, then the theology that is coming across is be really good until you die. Because what happened to Jesus a couple thousand years ago? Where's Jesus, guys? He's in heaven. So the theology Jesus lives in you is wrong. Jesus is a fully grown man who cannot live inside a six-year-old's heart. Who lives in six-year-old's hearts? The Holy Spirit. So if you don't talk about him, what does that leave an abused young child thinking? Don't mess up. Don't mess up. So I was going to be really, really good until I die. And when you die, then what happens? Well, you get an attic girl and you go to heaven. Well, how is that different than purgatory? Except purgatory is now. And do any of you feel like you're living as close to hell as you're going to get right now? Mm -hmm. Be really good and don't mess up. Sermon's over. Go get lunch. Well, that was my every Sunday. Fast forward till I meet my husband. Boy, this is a real quick story, isn't it? And I meet this guy in law school, and he grew up in a church that talked about the third guy. 
And one of his stories, now I'd heard about these stories, but they're always on things like Touched by an Angel. Great stories, but they were all on TV. My husband almost died of spinal meningitis when he was seven. He grew up in Africa in these other churches that talked about the third guy, and I didn't have those churches where I grew up. And they went to the hospital, and he had 24 hours to live, and he was going to die. And on the way home to their charismatic, they stopped by the charismatic church, and they prayed for him in ways that I was never taught to pray. It talks about it in the Bible, but I was told that that doesn't happen anymore. And when they prayed for him, the pain left. And when they stopped praying, the pain came back. And the church told his family, this isn't a medical battle, this is a spiritual battle. And you need to contend spiritually for your son's life. So they went home and they prayed for him in ways that I'd never heard of before. And when they were done praying, my husband started doing cartwheels around the house and said, I'm cured, I'm cured. And they said, stop moving. You don't want it to spread. We only have a few hours left with you. And he said, no, I'm fine. And they took him back to the hospital and they ran all the tests and there's no spinal meningitis in my husband's body. And I said, what? Right? Now this man is in law school at the time. And he said, yeah. And he started telling me other stories about miracles. And I started to change how I believe. And then I started to understand I don't have to be perfect. I don't have to be perfect. And that is the doctrine of grace. That is the story. Do you know that the Bible is a story? It's not a collection of verses or a bunch of wisdom or especially a bunch of rules. It's a story. And the story is oneness created between us and God and each other. And then real fast it gets bad. Oneness destroyed. And that's the Old Testament. And then oneness restored through Jesus Christ with God and each other. And too often, we live today in oneness destroyed. But our job as Christians is to contend for oneness restored. Oneness restored. So when I started to understand, wait a minute, I don't have to live in the shame that came from the abuse. I don't have to live perfect. I can live in oneness restored restored relationships. I don't have to make God happy. Do you know how scary it is to think that God acts like an abuser? If you don't do everything perfect, you lose your relationship with him. Some of you understand that because you know exactly what I'm talking about. You don't have to make God happy. What? Mm -mm. He knows every mistake you're going to make before you made it. Hmm. There is a verse that says, that he drowns your sin in the sea of forget. In the annotated version of the Bible, it says there's a sign there that says no fishing. Yeah, did you, oh, you, they hand those out in pastor school. Do you know it's a bigger sin to go fishing than it was to do your original sin? I'm going to say that again because some of you need to hear it. It's a bigger sin to go fishing than it was to commit your original sin. Do you know why? Because then you're saying the cross didn't matter. When you go, oh, but Jesus, remember what I did that was so bad? He's like, I already erased. I knew you were going to do it. I got rid of it. Why are you picking it back up? Do we have to go over this again? Okay, how many times do I have to do this? The doctrine of grace is that you don't have to be perfect, but let's not add to the cross. Let's not take it for granted. But he already knew all this was going to happen. 
and he paid it up front. So then, when you understand that, the shame can't stick to you, then you're literally walking in the command that's repeated more than anything else. Does anyone know the rule God gives us more than anything else? Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. It doesn't mean you're not going to be afraid. It just means you get to be fearless. You get to be fearless. Because what can this world do to you if Jesus has got you covered? What can the world do to you if Jesus has you covered? Hmm. That, in short, is my testimony. That, plus, once I figured all that out, I was like, okay, hold on. Now, aren't we all called to something? I mean, Esther had her calling, and it's beautiful and glorious, and then we see what Paul did, and it's amazing, and don't we all have our calling? But doesn't life seem kind of really insignificant? I mean, our boring little lives, right? One thing I realized is our callings, my calling, your calling, we're all kind of like spices. What's cinnamon's calling? What is, what is cinnamon going to do? When is this epic moment? Christmas? Like, <laughs> your calling is every single day. You're not going to have your Esther moment. Your calling is every single day. Cinnamon is cinnamon. Don't put it on cod. <laughs> but don't put paprika in my apple pie. Who are you designed to be and be that all the time fearlessly with the Holy Spirit and then boom you're now living this out so my husband and I meet I start to figure out oh there's a lot more to this I become set free from shame start walking in fearlessness figure out that I'm cinnamon if you will (laughs) I won't claim my spice publicly Some of you can figure it out. So then, um, I graduate from law school and kind of decide I'm not really a lawyer. I'm more of an advocate. I like championing people. And my husband gets a job. I say to him, I don't want to move to the East Coast and I don't want to move to a city. I I really want to move home. But he gets a job in Washington, D.C. Who here wants to move to Washington, D.C.? Says every Alaskan, right? But we value family. So I stay married and become the supportive wife who gets taken to Washington, D.C., and I start looking for a job. Does anyone feel like they're living outside of the plan? And I was still kind of in that perfect mentality, so perfect people plan out their lives. This was not going according to plan. This was angsty. And I end up, fortunately, by the grace of God, getting picked up by the Department of Justice in an anti-swamp office. There are anti-swamp offices in Washington, D.C. They're very small and underfunded, but I get to do something that fits our values, and I hold insiders accountable and expose waste, fraud, and abuse and shrink government and cut costs, and I love it. It fits great. And I start this career in government, which wasn't the plan, but it works out. There's not a fifth grader ever who comes home with a piece of paper and says, Mom, guess what I want to be when I grow up? A bureaucrat, says, says no fifth grader ever. And yet, that's what happens. And I end, one of my first cases, I end up exposing high-level FBI and Department of Justice officials who abuse Americans and violate their constitutional rights. And it goes all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, and I get hooked. And I realize if you don't have people like me in here who are willing to take on abusers, you can see where this story goes, 
these people get away with anything. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to serve my country, I'm going to dedicate myself to this, I'm going to hold these people accountable. Kelly becomes a bureaucrat. God, what am I supposed to be doing here? I don't understand this. At the same time, I literally get a phone call. Ring, 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 when phones still plug into the wall. Hello? Hi! I'm with the denomination my husband grew up in, and I'm a district supervisor, which means about as much to me as it means to you, and I'm in charge of planting churches. I heard you would be a good pastor and church planter. Do you want to plant a church? Can I see a show of hands? You better take a note, pastor. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That was my response, too. I literally laughed at him. I said, no, you got the wrong number. Is this a telemarketer? I'm a lawyer, not a pastor. Have a nice day. And I go to hang up the phone, and I hear him yelling, wait, 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 wait. Can I take you out for free dinner? Yes. Okay, guys, listen. This is totally biblical. Every time Jesus is with people, he gives out free food. I didn't make this up. Read the book. From the redemptive beach barbecue at the end with Peter to handing out food to all the hungry people. I mean, he does it twice. He's like, oh, we don't have enough food. Make more. Loaves and fish, loaves and fish. To whether when he's at Peter's mother-in-law's house, there's always free food with Jesus. If you want to save people, get people into the kingdom, free food, free food, free food. Our God is a party God. He gives out free food with the word all of the time. Don't you know that song? Yeah, it's biblical. Four years, this guy fed us free food and convinced us we were already pastoring people and it would be easier to just do it all at the same time on Sunday. It's not true. It's not true. But we fell for it. And so we started our church. It's like 16 years ago, something like that. Love it. Love it. That's how we became pastors. We never called it church because we never wanted to be pastors or church, so it's really technically a fellowship. We never invited people. We just let it be word of mouth. And to this day, it's still going strong. We're in eight states and four countries. And our goal is to raise up leaders and send them out. So missionaries, church planters, pastors, etc. Love it. And that's the story there on how that happened. Teaching people how to hear God's voice, how to go into the mission field, etc., how to go into the harvest. And so let's turn to that. Um, Matthew chapter 9. The harvest is plentiful. This is verse 37. But the workers are few. Oh, enduring words, right? What is the harvest? People. Thank you, Pastor. It can get real awkward. I'm okay with the fact that life is a series of awkward moments separated by snacks. And if we can embrace this, then you can do things like public speak. You know, the fear of death is lower than the fear of public speaking. Many people here today would rather die than do what I'm doing. Think about that. If you just embrace the awkward, it's all okay. The harvest is plentiful, meaning people out there are ready to hear the good news of Jesus. But we in here are not going out there. Now, let me ask you a question. This is something that God showed me. The harvest has roots, And roots keep the harvest from moving. So I go to all these pastor conferences, and they tell us to put on seeker-friendly services, and then they ask us to give them reports, and guess how many people come to our seeker-friendly services? Hmm, why not? Harvest fields don't, they don't move. And it's not because our seeker-friendly services aren't good. It's because people in the harvest are stuck, like we used to be stuck. What are the people out there doing on Sunday right now? They're working, they're shopping, they're dealing with a family crisis, they're dealing with a health crisis, they're, they're stuck. And so God intentionally 
after today, you're going to get out of here, he's going to put you in the middle of them. He's going to put you in the middle of them. And what are you supposed to do about it? Oh, that's in here too. Matthew 28, God gives you a strategic plan. I love strategic planning. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Teach them to observe or obey or apply the word, all that I've taught you. That's what we're supposed to do. What does make disciples mean? We don't use those words anymore. Go make spiritual mentees. Go mentor people spiritually. Okay, go teach them to put into practice the things I've taught you to put into practice. It's pay it forward, if you will. Can we do that? Go to the places God's already put you and the people around you who are stuck, pay it forward. The things God's taught you, teach them. Now, quick question, don't raise your hands. Are you doing that? Hmm, now it's awkward. Are you doing that? Can you do it with just one person? Can you teach them one thing? Can you share your testimony like I just shared with you? Share your story. You know, people can't get offended at your story. It's your story. When you tell them what their story needs to be, oh, heck no, don't do that. But can you tell them your story? You can tell at the grocery store while you're checking out. You can share your story. Teach them everything I've taught you. John 14 says, when you put into practice these things, I will reveal myself to you more and more. And the love exchange will grow. So we have this question. You're supposed to have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Everybody raise your hand. You have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. How do you have a personal relationship with someone who ascended 2,000 years ago? How do you explain that to somebody of another religion? The answer is this third guy. How do you explain the Holy Spirit to people who aren't in our faith? And the answer is we put into practice the things here in the word through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Well, how are you putting these things into practice? That's how you have to explain it to people. How do you put these things into practice? This is how I put my life into practice. I found myself in these government roles, wasn't the plan, let go of the perfection, and I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm along for the ride. What are we doing here in this harvest field? Hmm, who created government? Some of you are like, oh, I'm a homeschooler, Hammurabi. <laughs> okay, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over all the creeping things. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Rule, subdue, rule. What kind of words are those? Government words. And what were they ruling over? Fish, cattle, birds. What is that? Who rules over fish, cattle, and birds now? Fish and game. Who created the Department of Fish and Game? I didn't make this up. I didn't write it. God created the Department of Fish. This is the most fun book ever. Once you start reading this book, like Kelly reads this book, you want to know one of my most favorite non-verses? There's a lot of non-verses in here. I'm not making this up. God has a conversation with David, and he says, this is at the birth of the baby, he says, you shall name him Jedediah because it's the one God loves. Next verse. So they named him Solomon. You know what happened there? He went home and he talked to Bathsheba. He's like, I had this great conversation with God. It was amazing. He revealed to me we're going to have a son and we're going to name him Jedediah, the one God loves. Oh, heck no. I'm not naming my boy no hick name. He's not going to be called Jedediah. Mm -mm. I'm naming him. You know how that went, right? It's just not in the book you got to read it really carefully. It's the best book ever. 
Similarly, God created the Department of Fish and Games right here. And then at the end, and it was, government is supposed to be good. Oneness created. And then you turn the page and oneness destroyed. Not so good. Not so good. But government is supposed to be and can be good. So when we are sent into the harvest field of government, what is our job? Oneness restored. That's what I've made my specialty, be a bureaucracy whisperer. Government is supposed to be good. It's supposed to be of the people, by the people, for the people. There's great, no greater love than this than for someone to lay down their life for a friend, right? Or at Christmas time, we say he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, and the government shall rest on his shoulders. We've been talking a lot about pronouns lately. In that verse, the pronoun really matters. If government is on God's shoulders, and we said Jesus is in heaven, government's on God's shoulders, where is God here on earth? He's in us. We believe in an incarnate God. God lives in us. So if government is on his shoulders, on whose shoulders is government? Hmm. So when you hear all these people say, oh no, God and government have to be separate, and we take ourselves out of government, then on whose shoulders is government now? Not God. When we're abdicating the rightful role in the Bible of government. So if we don't go into that harvest field, then what? Then I think... Again, it's a story. Look at this. This is actually the entire story if you fast forward to Revelation. Genesis, what, chapter 11? Yes, chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. All the people in all the world get together and decide, we don't need God anymore. Let's build a mighty tower, a mighty government without God. And what does God come and do? Yeah, I don't think so. That's cute. That's real cute. And we get ourselves into a whole pickle of trouble. Government rests on his shoulders. God is in us. We have a harvest field to go into. And I've wrestled this out with God for a while because Kelly never dreamed of growing up to be a bureaucrat. I just, I just wanted to do good, homeschool my kids. But here I find myself in these government agencies. So I'm like, Lord, what am I supposed to do? Some of you are in positions right now where you wonder, why am I here and what's the purpose and calling? You're trying to figure out how to be cinnamon right where you are. Maybe you're waiting for your cinnamon moment 20 years in the future. And I just want to say, mm-mm, right now. One day, my colleague comes in. She'd said goodbye to her loved one that morning. <clears throat> and I actually know her loved one at home. And then she comes in my office weeping because she just got a call from the hospital that after she said goodbye, there was a 911 call and her loved one's at the hospital and is going to die. And she's not even going to have a chance to say goodbye. And my friend is not a Christian. But what can we do that hospitals can't do? we can pray. And I don't want any surface level superficial prayers from you all because Jesus, please help, amen, is not going to do anything. I want the kind of prayer that my husband's family prayed because I have a husband today and I have five kids today because people prayed boldly in faith using spiritual tools. We don't combat the enemy with the weapons of this world. We combat it with spiritual weapons. And that's just biblical truth. So doesn't bother me that my friend's not a Christian. I'm contending for the life of someone she loves and someone I loved. So I just went to town. <laughs> oh, Jesus. And I prayed a long, lengthy, charismatic prayer. And guess what happened? A miracle happened. You know, I have friends come to me. I had one come to me in D.C. 
our marriage is over. Our pastor said it's going to take a miracle to save our marriage. And my response was, well, it's a good thing we know a guy in the business of miracles. We know the guy in the business of miracles. When you need a miracle, direct line, everybody. And if you need a miracle today, I am here to tell you, I have seen these dealt out regularly. If you've lost hope for them, please don't. Her loved one was healed that day, miraculously, that morning, returned home that night, and lived. Yes, that's a person who never came to my church. Didn't come to my church after that. I did not add a member to my congregation that day. The church came to her. And that's what you're doing when you leave these, these doors today. You are being deployed to the harvest field. Another one, I had this friend, I'm also not a Christian, belligerently not a Christian, peppered me with questions regularly about my faith. You, you had got a hopscotch around this book and know all the answers, and, and I did not know all the answers, but that's what Rabbi Google is for. And so I would, I'd say, well, let me get back to you, but I would never get offended, you know, you've, we have to be instant in season and out, and I would answer them, and a year and a half later, we're having another pepper lunch, and at the end he goes, thank you for answering all these questions for all this time. For years, I have thought my religion is not right, and I've thought Christianity is, but I have never been able to find someone who'd be willing to answer all these questions. Do you have a book I can read? And so I started a group study, don't call it a Bible study, for non-Christians who want to learn how to study the Bible. You, want to, you have questions about this and you want to learn what it's about? Come on, let's talk about it. Do you know how many people in the harvest have questions about this book but don't have anyone who can ask, they can ask? You do not have to be an expert in this. Do you know that there are pastors who haven't read the whole Bible? Mm-hmm. Do you want to know another trick from pastors? You know those long lines of names, like the 12 spies who went into Canaan? They don't know how to pronounce all their names. <laughs> do you want me to tell them all the secrets? Yeah, they talk about this at pastor conferences. What do you do when you, oh, I just make it up. Mm-hmm. The Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Cellulites, the... <laughs> Which reminds me, and then I'll tell you my last story. Reminds me of a donkey I heard about. This donkey came home one day. Oh, mama, it was the best day of my life. I was tied up to the rail, and these two men came, and they said, the Lord needs you. And they untied me, and they put someone on my back, and they paraded me through town, and everybody was waving their palm branches and laying out coats in front of me and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was the best day of my life, Mama. And Mama Donkey looked at little baby Donkey, and she said, Oh, Donkey. It wasn't for you that they were doing those things. It was for the one you were carrying. And the same is true for any believer. Any believer can do any of these things because any donkey will do. (laughs) And in the political world, so will any elephant. (laughs) What matters is it's the one we're carrying. You can tell them what you know from the Bible, and you don't have to be an expert, and you can share what you know, and what you don't know, you don't know, and you'll learn it as you go. You just got to pass on what God's taught you. 
One day, I was walking through an intelligence community agency, which is code for spies, terrorists, and weapons of mass destruction, and I was carrying this book, and I had an appointment with God. I'm going to go outside, I'm going to spend 10 minutes clearing my head and praying, and I'm going to come back in a new person. And I caught the eye of somebody who's walking by, and I just had that, if, okay, some of you, I just have this feeling, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. How do you know it's God talking to you? It's not a bird, it's not a voice, it's a whisper inside of a whisper. It's a whisper inside of, was that a flea? Was, <laughs> that's what it feels like. It's like a, there are three voices in your head. One sounds like you, the other sounds like you, and the third sounds like you, okay? Um, the one sounds like you, and you are, you're always talking about yourself, and you, yeah, it's just normal. Um, the other sounds like, did God really say that? I don't think so. I, I think that you really need more. I can't believe so-and-so has that. That's the enemy. And the third sounds like you're just not that smart. You could not have come up with that brilliant idea. Or um, you should do something that you never thought about doing. And it always lines up with the word of God, and that's God. And it's so small that you will miss it if you're not paying attention to it, which is why you have to read the word. Because the more you read the word, the more you're going to catch those little, wait a minute, okay? Okay. That's what, when I say you're hearing God, and you're like, what is she talking about? That, it's like this, wait, that's what it is. So I'm walking, I'm walking, and I, and I get the, you're supposed to talk to that guy. Why would I ever think you're supposed to talk to that guy? It, we don't think that. People don't think that. They see this guy, and I get this, and if you don't, if you're not tuned in to the Holy Spirit, you're going to miss those things. So I see this guy, and I think that, and I'm going, eh, well, I'm a raging extrovert. I have an appointment with God. So I say, I pray, God, if you want me to talk to that guy, make the appointment happen anyway. I'm going to keep my appointment with you. So I go outside, and I sit down, and I start reading one of my favorite verses, and that guy comes out. And I was like, ha-ha, I knew it. And these are one of the ways that you hone your spiritual gifts, where you're like, oh, I did hear from you. And this guy says, are you a chaplain? I said, no, but I'm a pastor. He says, I was looking for a chaplain because I have to make a really serious national security decision and I don't know what to do and I need to know what God's telling me to do and can't tell you anything because it's classified, so can you tell me what God wants me to do? <laughs> Anyone? Anyone? We are in Assemblies of God Church, right? Okay, I'd like an answer, please. That's how I felt. It's like way above my pay grade. I said, I can't tell you what God wants you to do. I said, you don't want to know what I have to say anyway. That's pointless. I said, you need to hear directly from God, and you need to have the confidence that you heard from God. And I can tell you how to hear from God. You can? I said, yes, absolutely. I'll take you through an exercise where you hear from God, and you know with confidence that you've heard from God, and you can have the information you need to make your decision. He said, okay. So I handed him a piece of paper. I took a piece of paper. I said, this is how we're going to do this exercise. I took him through the prayer exercise. I said, you write down what you hear. I'll write down what I hear. You sit way over there so we can't see each other's paper. He said, this works. I said, every time, every time. He said, okay. So we did it. And at the end, our papers matched. And he's like, how does it? I just said, because God, just like we sing, God is a living God. And he is faithful to answer our prayers. And I have no idea what these things mean on this piece of paper. But he's like, I do. I said, great. You have what you need. And he took the paper and he left, and, and we didn't have anything happen in the nation the next two weeks. And that's what I was happy about. <laughs> yes. You are sent to the field you are sent to. Some of you are wondering right now, what is going on in my life and why is it so upside down? 
your life is on track perfectly, right? You are right where you're supposed to be. I don't think that Joseph intended to be in a pit. I don't think he intended to be in Potiphar's house. I know he wasn't supposed to be in a prison, but that's how he ended up being in charge of Egypt, right? Was he not Joseph when he was in a pit? Was he not Joseph at Potiphar's house? Was he not Joseph in a prison? He was cinnamon everywhere he was, living out his calling. And it was in all of those places that he was being prepared to be ultimately what he needed to be in Egypt. And so are you. So ditch the shame, walk in the fearlessness, and be who you are supposed to be in that harvest place. Because this in here is not the harvest field. This is where we get equipped and prepared, is what it says in Ephesians 4, to go out there. And for any of you who have ever prayed, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and meant it for your community, for your city, for your state, can I just suggest to you that your walk might look a little bit like mine, and you might be called to the harvest field that is government. And it might be time to get more involved in some things that look a little bit like the things that I'm involved in, because I never intended this. But if government isn't on his shoulders, then we're abdicating it to people that don't have any business running government. Thank you. Right.